I'm gonna read this scripture. You can be seated. I'm gonna read this scripture. It's not my, it's not my sermon. Um, maybe you can just hang there just for a second, Grace. I really don't know where this is going, um, other than the fact that I felt God stirring the scripture. Um, it's not my sermon, so we'll just see where this ends up. But in Acts chapter 2, I'm sure you're very familiar with this passage, some of you, and if you're not, this is one of my favorite. Acts chapter 2. Let's see here. Let's start. Verse 14 says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, now, if you have any questions about what's happening, what's taking place, we're in this service this morning, we're nowhere near Acts 2's uh, level of intensity, but we're getting there. Uh, we haven't reached Acts 2 level of intensity, but, but we're on our way. Acts 2, verse 14, but Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, heed my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. <laughs> and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And verse 37 says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to, now, now when they heard this, when they heard this, when they heard the sound, when they heard the tongues, when they heard the stirring, when they heard the rumblings, when they heard Peter's teaching, when they heard this, when they heard the drunken mess of spiritual intoxication, when they heard this, when you get 120 people together, all full of the Holy Ghost fire, just baptized, man, if you've ever seen somebody get baptized in the Holy Ghost for the first time, it's, it's not a quiet experience. It's not, y'all with me this morning, it's not, it's not, y'all can say amen, hello, and here we go. It's not a quiet experience when somebody gets baptized in the Holy Ghost, it gets, it gets noisy. We, I remember one particular girl in one of our youth services a while back, she was quiet, very shy very shy, very shy. And she had been praying to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit for a long time. She'd gotten in a lot of prayer lines. She'd done a lot of praying. And in the middle of the service, I felt impressed by the Holy Spirit to walk back to her. I was in the middle of preaching. I, I walked back. She was probably back this direction. I walked back to her. And I said, what have you been asking God for? He's going to do it right now, tonight. And her face lit up. You thought I would have given her a million dollars. She was so excited. And I said, stand up. And she stood up. And no sooner had she stood up, 
She got baptized in the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit came on her, and she started flopping and flailing. You would have thought she was a bird trying to take off out of a cage. I mean, she was, she was praying in tongues with fervency and passion. I mean, just in a moment. Now, I just think about that moment, and you take that and multiply it by 120 people. There was a noise going abroad. It's okay to get happy in church this morning. It's okay to get noisy in church. It's okay to rejoice and celebrate in church this morning. It's okay to exalt the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And when they heard this, (laughs) oh Jesus, let us hear a sound in Akron. The Holy Ghost ain't letting me off this passage this morning. This is not my sermon. I have a whole, I have pages of notes up here. I may get there, I may not. There's there's a noise. There's a sound that Akron needs to hear. There's a sound that Akron needs to hear, and it's not a bunch of compromising Christians. They don't need to hear the sound of compromising Christians. They need to hear the sound of a Holy Ghost army, a Holy Ghost church that's filled with the baptism in the Holy Ghost, worshiping at the top of their lungs. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. I'm telling you, if you'll yield to the power of the Holy Ghost in your life, there are people around you that you've been praying for, that you believe, you've been believing God for their salvation, and you just keep thinking, man, when are they going to get it? Man, when are they going to ever get it? Have you ever felt that way? When are they ever going to get this? But if we start living a New Testament church, the Bible says that in that moment they were cut to the heart. There are things that the Holy Spirit can do in a moment that you and I couldn't do in a lifetime. I've seen God do more in seconds than I've tried to get Him to do in years. (laughs) How many of you know what I'm talking about? I've seen, we were in a service. You say, what are you doing? I'm just building your faith. I'm just pushing you over the precipice this morning. That's all I'm doing. My job, I feel like the Holy Ghost this morning is just saying, push you on out over the edge and get you out in the water. That's what I'm doing. I was in a service not long ago. Well, it seems not long ago. It's probably a few years ago now. It's amazing. Time flies. We were in a service, and there was a girl sitting about halfway back, and we went to the altar time, and we started praying for folks. She came up. We had a prayer line, and she came up for prayer. She had two of her friends on either side of her. I didn't had no clue what was going on. She had two friends that were there with her. We began to pray, and as we began to pray, this girl started taking steps around the altar. She started walking around the altar. I thought, well, that's, you know, maybe God's touching her. It's odd, but maybe maybe God's touching her. And she, she takes off running around the building, yelling, screaming, takes off running. It's raining outside, and she takes off running outside in the rain. She comes back in, soaking wet, running around the building. Of course, we're all like, what's going on? And her friend said, see that wheelchair over there? She's a 16-year-old girl. She can't walk. She's had, she has arthritis so bad in her knees, she can't walk. The doctor said they refuse to do knee replacements because she's only 16 years old. She got new knees in a moment of time. 
We had a woman. We had a woman come into a service on a Monday night. We were having Monday night revival services. We're going through praying for folks. And at that point, we were probably praying for hundreds of people on Monday night revival night. And Heather's going with me as she normally does, and we're going through praying. We'd walked up an aisle. There was people lined up around the front, up the aisles, and we were walking down the aisle praying for folks. And I pray for this lady, and she falls on the floor, didn't know what was happening, what God was, obviously, God was moving. Didn't know exactly why she was in line, and Heather taps me on the shoulder, and she says, that woman has breast cancer. One of her friends had brought her to the service. I said, let me know when she gets up. I want to talk to her. So they, one of the ushers stayed with her on, we kept continuing ministering, and an usher came and got me during the service at that point and said, she's up off the floor. I said, bring her here. She came up. We were praying for people. I said, I want you to go in the bathroom. I said, I want you to check yourself. She went in the bathroom, and she came back out, and she said, I had lumps in my breast, and they're gone. She was healed of breast cancer. Oh, yeah, and the doctor confirmed it. We had a, we had a lady come in with brain cancer, completely healed of brain tumors. I don't know why God does or how He does the way things He does them or why the order God has set. But this I know, that they heard a sound. And I'm telling you, when people get healed who were told they never be well, there's a sound that gets noised abroad. When people get set free from drugs and alcohol, there's a sound that gets heard. When people get set free from addictions, there's a sound that's heard. There, I, I don't know about you, but, but when I got liberated, when Jesus set me free, there was a sound that was heard in my life. When I got baptized in the Holy Ghost, there was a sound that was heard. Acra needs to hear the sound of his presence. Akron needs to hear the sound of his presence. It will liberate this city. If this city, I feel like I've just stepped into a prophetic mantle this morning uh, for, for just a moment, but, but if this city is going to see growth and restoration, I mean, we, we don't, it, it doesn't take much to look around and see the, the economic effects of 2008. I'm not trying to bring up a sore subject. It's just a reality that you can look around the city and see the effects of the economic decline. Just like in us. You could, in 2007, when I went to New Orleans, it didn't take much to look around a city and see the devastation from Katrina. It doesn't take much. hear the sound I just sense the presence of the Lord settling in this place why don't you just lift your hands with me this morning right where you're at your encounter with God your worship with God has a sound your worship has a voice it's your mouth you you got to begin to open up your your voice you got to begin to open up your praise you got to begin to open up your mouth and let the sound come out. How will they hear if you don't open up your mouth? Paul said, how will they know unless a preacher sin? How will they know if you don't open up your mouth? 
says they were cut to the heart when they heard this. Lord, I pray in this house this morning, Lord, that you would impart a supernatural sound. Lord, we want to hear the wind that blew on the day of Pentecost. We want to see the fire that fell, God. We want, we want to, see, we want to hear the, the the flames as they as they move in the wind, Lord. We want to hear the hear the flames flicker, God. We want to, woo! We want to see. We want to hear, Lord. Akron needs to hear the sound of a Holy Ghost blood-bought church. Let the sound of heaven bubble up on the inside of us. Let the sound of heaven bubble up on the inside of us. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. That's what the Lord's doing in celebration right there. That's what's happening here. Thank you, Jesus. Well, if you have your Bibles, you can go to Nehemiah. We're just going to stay in this. I feel, I feel the Lord doing something supernatural this morning. Amen. I'm glad Bob agrees. <laughs> Nehemiah chapter 6. Thank you, Lord. Just lift your hands with me this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your presence in this place this morning. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't get in such a hurry and such a routine that we miss, that we miss the, the supernatural work that you're doing. Lord, I feel a rumbling under the surface this morning, Lord, and I feel a stirring in my belly that I haven't felt yet here, and Lord, I, I recognize this rumbling, I recognize this stirring, so we just, we just wait, Lord, on you for a moment. Lord, we just wait and say, Lord, have your way. Have your way, Jesus. If you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you just begin to pray in the Spirit. Just give vent, just like we were talking about. You've got to, you got to, yeah, let out the sound. Catherine Kuhlman used to say, you got to give vent to the Holy Ghost. So this morning, we're giving vent. Thank you, Lord, for your presence in this place. If you're not baptized in the Holy Ghost, that's okay. You can be. It's not spooky. Thank you, Lord, for your presence in this place. Thank you, Lord, for your presence in this place. Thank you, Lord, for your presence in this place. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. 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 
Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Yeah, it's increasing. It's like a river. It's increasing. Thank you, Lord Jesus. His presence is increased. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Whoo, just step in this morning. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Like wave after wave of his presence. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I feel like the Lord is saying to someone, you're struggling in your marriage, you're struggling in your family, there's a marriage difficulty, and you keep looking at your husband, as to the, obviously to a woman, you're looking to your husband as the source of the conflict, and I feel like the Lord would say to you to stop, stop blaming and stop pointing and saying, God, change me, and yield to the yield to the Holy Spirit as he, as he works in your marriage. Uh, stop, stop complaining. Stop fussing at him and just begin to pray in the Spirit. Just begin to pray in the Spirit. And when you want to open your mouth and say something that's derogatory, just pray in the Spirit. Just pray in the Spirit. When you want to tear him down, just pray in the Spirit. God is at work in your husband's life. You can't change him. You can't change him. You just begin to trust the Lord. You just begin to trust the Lord. God is at work in that marriage. You begin to trust him and he'll work. He'll work. Yes, he'll work miracles in your marriage. You just begin to trust him and you begin to pray and rest in him. You begin to pray in the Holy Ghost and trust him. You begin to build yourself up. You stir yourself up in your holy faith. You begin to build yourself up and edify yourself and the Holy Ghost. Yeah. And he'll begin, you'll begin to see your husband change. You'll begin to see your spouse begin to be transformed. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Nehemiah chapter 6. And verse 1 says, Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, and Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall, and there were no more breaks left in it, though at the time I had not hung the doors and the gates, that Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together. Among the villages in the plain of Ono. You should underline that. That's a, good, that's a good Bible term. There's a plain of Ono. But they thought to do me harm. And so I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease? Why I leave it and go down to you. But they sent me this message four times, and I answered them in the same manner. And then Samballat sent his servant to me as before the fifth time with an open letter in his hand, and in it was written, it was reported among the nations, and Geshem says that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the wall and that you may be their king. And you have also appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, saying, there is a king in Judah. Now these matters will be reported to the king, so come therefore and let us consult together. In verse 8, then I sent to him saying, no such things as you say are being done, but you invent them in your own heart. For they were all trying to make us afraid, saying their hands will weaken by the work and it will not be done. Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. Afterward, I came to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of... Mm -hmm, 
who was secret informer, and he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple, and let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. And indeed, at night they will come to kill you. And I said, should such a man, should I be such a man that I flee? And who is there such as I who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. And then I perceived that God had not sent him at all. But he, he pronounced his prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalat hired him. For this reason he was hired, that I should be afraid and act the way and sin, so that they might have cause for an evil report and that they might bring reproach against me. And my God, remember Tobiah and Sabalat according to their works, and the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who would have made me afraid. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul and 52 days. And it happened when all our enemies heard of it and all the nations around us saw these things that they were very disheartened in their own eyes for they perceived that this work was done by our God. Lord, I thank you for your presence in this place. I thank you for your word. Lord, I ask that today you would help us to step into the rest of our God in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning I want to share a message with you entitled Finding Rest in Your Salvation. You know, a lot of times we, we come into our, into our experience with Christ and we feel like we have to work or earn or do our part in order for God to do his part. And I, I want to say to you this morning that God is faithful whether you are faithful or not. God is faithful to work on your behalf whether you screw it up or mess up or do exceedingly well. God is still going to be faithful on your behalf. Here's some ways to tell if you think you might be striving in your Christianity. Here's some, here's some checklists you might take a look at and examine your own life to see if you're striving at your Christianity. Number one, do you feel that you're working to earn or to gain God's acceptance or approval? A lot of times we feel like in order to get God's love or his acceptance, we have to do A, B, or C. That might be a good indication that you're striving in your Christianity. Number two, do you find yourself trying to serve God in order to meet a need that he might have? In other words, revival will only come to the city if I do my part. I have to pray it through. I have to pull down the strongholds. My family is only going to get born again if I pray. How many of you have ever heard that or thought that? Do you find yourself trying to serve God? Acts 17 says, is, is God limited that he would need our worship? God's not created. He doesn't need our worship. It's real quiet in here this morning. Number three, you do the work of ministry because no one else can or will. <laughs> Uh-oh. Have you ever found yourself saying that? I've got I've to do this ministry or that ministry because if I don't do it, nobody else will do it. You know, Elijah had that same problem. <laughs> and God's response to Elijah was, I have a thousand people who haven't even bowed their knee. You may think the world revolves around you, but buddy, I've got a bigger plan than you. We're just one puzzle piece in the master plan of God. And when we start thinking that in order that for God's work to be accomplished, we have to do it. Number four, you feel more obligation to live the Christian life versus enjoying the Christian life. Uh-oh. I have to go to church. I have to pray in tongues. I have to read my Bible. When you do things out of obligation, you will find yourself quickly drying up and becoming very crusty, hard Christian. 
God doesn't want you to be, live the Christian life saying, I'm obligated to do this. You have the opportunity to do this. You have, man, I have the opportunity to read the Bible and to understand it and to get it in me. I have the opportunity to pray in tongues. I have the opportunity to come in and worship with passion. I have the opportunity to give God everything that I've got within me. Amen. That's good preaching, Zach. You have to follow certain protocol, number five. You have to follow certain protocol or styles in order for salvation to be real in your life. In other words, you have to wear certain clothes, do a certain dance, you know, sing a certain song, live a certain way in order for salvation to be real. It's getting real quiet in here. Or in order for me to be free from bondage, let's talk about this a little bit further, in order for me to be free from bondage or addiction in my life, I have to follow these 12 steps. If you've ever been bound up by something in your life and you followed those 12 steps, did they always work? No, they don't work. (laughs) They make you feel good about yourself for a little while and then you realize, I still have a problem. I have a sin problem. It's a nature. I have a sinful nature problem. It's, it's not just about an addiction. It's not just about a bad habit. I have a sinful nature problem that's got to be addressed. Twelve steps won't fix me. Oh, I like this one. Number six. I always have to be in control so that things are done right. I mean, after all, doesn't the Bible talk about self-control? So that means i got to control everybody around me. And so maybe you might find yourself striving in your relationship with Christ when you think that you have to control everything and every decision and everything that happens and comes and goes in your life, you have to be in control of. Do you know that it's okay to say to God, I'm out of control? Do you know that it's okay to say, God, I relinquish control? That's hard sometimes to give up control, but when we do, we find ourselves stepping into the rest of heaven. Number seven, I'm not a good steward if I'm not busy about the kingdom or work. In other words, we try to fill up our schedule with so much stuff or we have to be busy working or doing something in order to please God. Do you know that you just please God for who you are? It's true. God loves you just the way you are. You may have issues and you may be all messed up, And you have a sinful nature that's being transformed. We all have those things. But God loves you in spite of those things. God wants to transform. He loves you so much that he calls you in to transform you and to change you. And so you don't have to be so busy and so uh, such a good steward that all you do is work. You can enter into the rest of heaven. Number eight, I must hear God's voice and have his direction for everything I do in my life. <laughs> now, some of you are going to hear this, and you're going to think, well, that just seems contradictory to what a preacher would say. I mean, I should hear God's voice on every decision that I make. Man, it's quiet in here. <laughs> if you go through life trying to hear God and hear his voice on every decision you make, you're going to be sadly mistaken when God is silent. Do you know that there are times where God silently sits by and says, you know my word, you know what I've spoken, just do it. And if you don't know, just keep doing what you know is right until God says something other than that. (laughs) 
I remember when I first moved to New Orleans. Well, let, let me back up. Let me go back to my number nine, and, I'll, and then I'll tell that story. Number nine, I find my identity or self-worth in what I do versus who God is. Meaning that I'm the worship leader, I'm the preacher, I'm the Sunday school teacher, I'm the plate passer, you know, whatever. Your identity comes from what you do. Heaven forbid, how can you tell these people? You can always tell who these people are, at least I can as a pastor, because the minute you say to them, hey, you know what, I think God wants you to work in this ministry. Let's, let's raise up someone else in the ministry you're currently doing, and let's see, let's see you grow in another ministry. Those people stand out real quick because they, mine, this is mine. Don't touch my plate. And I'm not saying any of our ushers are like that. I'm just using that as an example. Don't touch my offering plate. Man, you, but when they die, somebody's going to engrave it with their name because they're, you know, it's so important to them. Your identity and self-worth come from who God is, not what you do. And so if you find yourself struggling with who am I and who is God in me and, and I've got to do something in order to get identity, that's not what God has for your life. There's so much more. And so anyway, when I first moved to New Orleans, now that I've ruffled everybody's feathers with those nine little things, just checklist. Hey, if you don't like it, leave it on the pew and you can um, get it later. Um, when I first moved to New Orleans, I moved there and I was working for a particular ministry. And uh, I was there, I really enjoyed being there except for one particular person and it happened to be my boss. <laughs> you know, how many of you know it's really hard to enjoy your job when your boss is not enjoyable? None of the staff better say a word. <laughs> Don't amen. And so I uh, ended up there, you know, it was all wonderful. Thank you, Jesus. And after about three months of being there, after three months of being at this ministry, I ended up resigning and stepping down. There was things I didn't agree with. And here I am in New Orleans from Illinois, knew nobody. I'd only been there three months, had no relationships with anybody. I was completely, felt like on an island by myself. And here I am. Okay, God, you brought me to New Orleans. I'm going to pack up my car, and I'm going back to Illinois. These people in New Orleans are crazy. I ain't staying here. I'm going back to Illinois. And I got so frustrated and so aggravated, because then the next, the next reality set in. Zach, you don't have a job. <laughs> How many of you know, when you don't have a job, reality hits you smack in the face really quick? And so I realized, okay, i got to get a job. I got to figure out, am I moving back to Illinois? What am I doing? I had all these things going on. And I heard the Lord clear as day spoke to me. He said, I want you to take the next month and you're going to rest. And I said, oh, but God, I need a job. I have a rent to pay. I have, car, you know, I have all these bills to pay. He said, you have enough money, you're going to rest. I said, okay. And literally, I was sending out resumes. I was doing everything I could to try to find a job, and there was no job. There was no, no, and New Orleans, everybody's hiring in New Orleans. It was post-Katrina, everybody was hiring. But I couldn't get a job. I didn't understand. God, what are you doing here? He said, I want you to rest. And so I began to rest, and I learned what it meant to rest. And, and there, was a, there was a particular day, there was a particular day on a Wednesday night, and I said, God, I can't keep doing this. I'm done. 
I'm moving back to Illinois. These people are crazy. You know, I was repeating a lot of the same stuff I'd gone over with God about a month earlier. He hadn't changed his mind either. It's amazing how we try to change God's mind. He, he doesn't change very often. And so I began to, went to church, and then Heather was there. She was our young adults um, pastor at the time. And, and there was a male that needed ministry too, and, and she didn't want to handle it by herself. So she comes and gets me and says, hey, can you come help me minister to this guy? And I'm like, I really don't want to minister to anybody. I just want to go home. I want to go to bed. I'm done. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. Have you ever felt that way? Where it's like, man, I, God, I can't, I can't get breakthrough. I'm trying everything I can, but I just can't seem to get breakthrough. God, I just, and you're striving. And that's how I felt. And so I went over and I helped minister this guy. It was awesome. You know, it was a good time of ministry. And um, I went home that night and I, I went in my room and I put on, you, you, some of you may be familiar with Rita Springer. Up until that point, I hadn't heard of Rita Springer. And I put on one of her CDs. I want to sit at your feet, drink from the cup in your hand, lay back against you and breathe. And I put that CD on and I sat at the foot of my bed and I said, God, okay, I give up. I'm going to stop striving, and I'm going to enter into your rest. I'm going, to start, I'm going to stop striving, and I'm going to enter into rest. And when I did, I felt the presence of the Lord come in the room so strong, so heavy. And I, I remember, I don't know how it happened. I don't know how it ended up, but I remember being on the floor in a fetal position, and I literally felt it was like God was sitting there, and I was sitting on Daddy's lap, and he had his arms around. That's exactly what it felt. I felt, tangibly felt like I was sitting on daddy's lap. And I began to enter into his rest. And God said, you know what I've called you to do. Now do it. And that was all it took. I knew in that moment, that one moment of time, God brought me to New Orleans. He called me to this city. I may not have a job right now. I don't know why I'm here and why God's called me to this city. But I just know that God's brought me here. And 10 years later, I'm still there. Married my wife, had a child. Saw awesome ministry there. And so there are times where we find ourselves in a place where we're seemingly striving to see the plans and the purposes of God fulfilled. And I want to say to you today that your strife and your work and your, your passion should be to enter into the rest of God for your life. You don't have to strive and work and worry and fret and become discouraged over the work. Your job is to enter into his rest. Hebrews 4 verse 9 says, there remains therefore a rest. You need to underline this scripture in your Bible. Man, this is a great, great scripture. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. That's you and I. For, who, for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from him. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. I have a quote from Andrew Murray. It's a little lengthy, but I want you to hear what Andrew Murray says about this verse. It's absolutely powerful. We'll put it on the screen. Andrew Murray says, In God we see, as it were, two distinct stages in his, in his relation to his work. The first was that of creation, until he had finished all his work that he had created and made. The second, his rest when creation was finished. And he rejoiced in what he had made, now to begin the higher work of watching the development of the life he had entrusted the creature with and securing its sanctification and perfection. 
It is a rest from work that is now finished so that higher work can be carried on. Even so, there are two stages in the Christian life. There is the one in which after conversion, a believer seeks to work what God would have him do. And there is the second in which after many a painful failure, anybody ever felt that way? You get born again, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm born again, I'm excited. And you start going to town, I'm going to read my Bible, I'm going to pray, I'm going to worship. And then all of a sudden, reality hits you and you're like, oh my goodness, I failed. You sin, you mess up, you say something, you shouldn't do something, you do it, and and reality hits you. Man, I'm a failure, and this high that you were on, I was born again. Now all of a sudden you hit a low and realize, man, I'm such a failure, I have a sinful nature. And there is a second in which after a many painful failure, he ceases from his work and enters the rest of God, there to find the power for work and allowing God to work in him. It is this resting from their own work that many Christians cannot understand. They think of it as a state of passive and selfish enjoyment. What I'm talking about this morning is not you idly sitting by, letting everybody else do the work. That's not what we're talking about this morning. The, the rest of God is not about passively, selfishly sitting by of still contemplation that leads to neglect of the duties of life and unfits for that watchfulness and warfare to which Scripture calls. What an entire misunderstanding of God's call to rest. As the Almighty, God is the only source of power. In nature, He works all. In grace, He waits to work all too. If man will be but consent and allow truly to rest in God is to yield oneself up to the highest activity. We work because he works in us to will and to do. As Paul said himself, labor striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Entering the rest of God is the ceasing from self. I want you to understand this. You hear this. Entering the rest of God is the ceasing from self-effort and the yield up of oneself in one's full surrender of faith to God's working. And so Nehemiah finds himself working on a wall. He finds himself seeing the city restored. And I want to say to you today that Celebration, we are full on engaged in what God's doing here in this city. God is at work though at Celebration. It's not about you and I. It's about God working in and through us. And so if it ever becomes about your name or that name or my ministry or your ministry, we've missed what God has said and spoken for our church. If there's anything that I could say to you about this work that God's called us to do, I want to say it to you today this way, that you and I need to enter into the rest of God that he's called us to. To stop striving, to cease our striving after... you know, all of our things, all of the trappings. And, and, and let me tell you, I'll be the first that notices every little thing that's got to be done around here. I'll be the first to say, we need to fix the walls and the ceilings and the paint and then this and the portico and this and that. And I'll, I'll have my list a mile long. And I'm the type of person that if my wife doesn't keep me in check, that I'll work myself into oblivion Because that's just my nature. But I'll miss the whole purpose of why I'm even here. My purpose in in being in Akron is not about working myself into oblivion. My purpose in being at Celebration Church is to see God glorified and to see him lifted up. And if I work myself into oblivion, I'll never accomplish that. Now, 
I got it. You're clapping for me, but you're going to clap for yourself because some of you need this message. Some of you need to hear what I'm saying and that, that we're going to cease our efforts in striving in Christianity and we're going to strive to enter the rest of God. We're going to strive to come in and say, God, I don't understand what you're doing. I don't understand why we have the uh, I am free to run and people are jumping and Zach, Pastor Zach gets up and calls us all out of our pews and he has altar calls and lays hands on people and we, we're, we have a drum cage and lights and all these things and uh, information, all the stuff that I don't understand why it's all happening, but God, I see that you're at work and I'm going to cease from my striving and I'm going to enter your rest. I'm going to cease from trying to figure it out and I'm just going to step into your rest. I'm going to step into what you're doing. I know, God, you're at work. So how do we do that? How do we step into the place of rest? How do we step out of striving and into rest? First off, they... They sent messages to Nehemiah, Sam Ballot, Tobiah, and all these guys are ridiculing. Here is, Nehemiah is busy about rebuilding the city. He's about seeing restoration come to his people, and he's doing the work. And here comes Sam Ballot, Tobiah, and all these guys, and they say to him, come out and meet us in the plain of Oh No. I want to say to you today, how do you stay out of striving and enter into the rest of God? you got to stay out of the plane of oh no. When you start hearing things like strife and, dis- and dissension and gossip or issues start surfacing in your life, how many of you know our first, oh no, what am I going to do? I don't know how to fix this. I don't know what to do in this situation. You've got to live your life and get out of oh no and stay in the city of God. Don't ever leave the city of God. Don't ever leave his presence. Don't ever leave the place of his presence. There will be people who try to come and and try to get you out into the mess that they're in. How many of you know there's always somebody who will come along and say, you need to come with me and just get out. And they want to gossip. They want to complain. They want to tell you. They're just like Job's friends. They want to tell you everything you did wrong and everything that you need to do right. They have a far better plan for you than God does. How many of you know those kind of people? They all, everybody knows better than you. And the, the last thing that you want to do, the last thing you and I do, need to step out into the plain of Ono. We cannot leave the city of God for the plain of Ono. There's always going to be circumstances and situations in this life. There's always going to be something. There's always a list a mile long. There's always something that needs to be fixed. There's always issues that need to be handled. And, and I'm sure you may be sitting there thinking, well, are you just telling me I need to, to sit idly by and not deal with those? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. Nehemiah didn't ignore the, what was being said Matter of fact, we'll see in just a moment his response. Nehemiah didn't ignore it, but his first priority was the presence of God. His first priority was entering the city of God, staying in the place that God had called him. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 5, we find Jesus being tempted by the devil. It says, the devil then taking him up on a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and all their glory for this has been delivered to me and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, get behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. You know, Jesus didn't argue with the devil about his authority. Jesus didn't say to the devil, hey, you're wrong. I have all authority. He didn't, answer, he didn't answer that way. What was Jesus' response? Get behind me, Satan. You shall worship the Lord your God and worship him only. Why? Because what you worship is what you become. 
If you begin to worship and magnify your problem, guess what your life becomes? It becomes a big problem. If you begin to worship and magnify your to-do list and your task list and your, and your family issues and your job issues and you begin to magnify them, that's what worship is. Worship is magnification. If you begin to magnify them, guess what? You become your problem. You become your situation. You begin to be ate up <laughs> with the realities of things around you versus the realities of heaven. Does that mean that we should ignore and, and just go on about our business and we're like, no, Jesus addressed it, said, Satan, get behind me. He wasn't, he wasn't ignoring reality. He spoke to reality. He spoke to the real reality and said, worship the Lord your God only. It's not about authority. Authority comes when you worship. When we begin to worship God and magnify Him, His authority flows into our lives. And so if you begin to worship your problem and worship all the oh-no situations around you, then the authority of those begin to flow into your life. But when you begin to worship God and you begin to magnify Him, His authority begins to flow into your life. You begin to realize you walk in a heavenly authority. You walk in a heavenly calling. You don't have to stay in the plane of oh-no. You don't even have to go out to the plane of oh no you can walk in his presence and that's what Jesus responded to the devil devil get behind me worship the Lord your God only and so today if you're facing difficulties or if you find yourself striving in your relationship with God you need to magnify him and get your eyes off your problems second Corinthians says we don't look what is uh, what is seen what is seen is temporary but what we look at is what's unseen we look at what is eternal you got to begin to have God eyes. You have to see the unseen world around you. You have to begin to look and see that you're in the city of God. You're in the place of his presence. You and I should be living and dwelling in the presence of God. And as we do that, as we live and dwell in his presence, we stay out of the valley of Ono. It's kind of like when you're on an airplane. I love flying you know, when you take off, you, you take off in the airplane and you start soaring, you're climbing altitude and all of a sudden the things that were about the same size as you on the ground are not so, it's not so big anymore. Those semi-trucks are little bitty and that's what worship does. It brings you up. Isaiah 40, 31 says that they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. Man, if you can get your eyes off of the oh no and get your eyes focused on him, you'll begin to soar like the eagles. And all of a sudden those problems and those issues become so minute, so minuscule compared to the presence of God at work in your life. Second thing that we see here in Nehemiah is that he was committed to the right activity. Sometimes when we're striving in our Christianity, we're committed, but we're committed to the wrong activity. We're committed to doing and trying to serve and trying to be a better Christian and trying to earn our badge for Christ versus our activity being focused on entering his rest. It's quiet in here today. I, I feel like I'm, I'm preaching with some folks here this morning that understand what I'm talking about. That we find ourselves in those situations where we want to be the better Christian. We want to have the badge. We want to we get it all right. We've got to please God. We've got to make him happy. Because God, you know, sits in heaven with a big holy stick ready to beat us down when we mess up. And that's not the God at all that we serve. 
We have to be committed to the right activity. And the right activity, Hebrews said, was to strive to enter his rest. Stop striving over Christianity, but be diligent. It means passionately pursue his rest. What is your job as a Christian? To worship God. What is your, what is your calling in this life? The chief end of man. I love this quote from the Westminster Catechism. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. What is your purpose in this life? <laughs> to glorify God and enjoy him forever. If you spend your life pursuing a calling, pursuing a marriage, pursuing a relationship, pursuing all these things, you're no better than the carnal people all around us. You've missed the whole point of your salvation. Even in church, we can pursue all of the religious ideas of God. We can do all the right things and miss the whole purpose of why you and I were born again in the first place. The whole purpose of our salvation is to enter into his rest, to come in and worship, to live in his presence. Nehemiah's response to the, to the folks trying to get him out to the plain of Ono was, I am doing, you need to highlight this, you need to underline this, you need to mark this in your Bible, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? In other words, Nehemiah didn't say, oh, I'm building a wall, I'm busy building a wall, leave me alone. That wasn't Nehemiah's response. Nehemiah's vision was greater than a wall. Nehemiah's calling was greater than the walls of Jerusalem. Nehemiah's calling was to see the city restored. Nehemiah's calling was to see that city, to be used of God, to see a city transformed. You and I's calling is not about just building a ministry. It's not just about building a, a building. It's about seeing Christ exalted in this city, to see this city restored. And that only happens, that only happens by saying, God you're at work. God, you're at work in our church. You're at work in my life, and I yield to your work. Nehemiah could have labored all day long, but there was no way he was getting those walls built in 52 days. It was impossible. There's a lot of work to accomplish in this city. There's a lot of things to get done. There are people who are lost. There are people who are broken. There are family members that you have and co-workers that you have that are broken and need hope. But you and I are incapable of doing it on our own. You and I, it is impossible for you and I to see this city transformed on our own. We have to yield to the presence of God at work in our life. We have to be busy about the right work. In Philippians 2 verse 13 it says, For it is God who works in you both the will and the do for his good pleasure. In other words, God, you can do whatever you want to do. You're able to do it. You're able to accomplish this work in our city. You're able to accomplish this work in my life. You're able to set me free. You're able to bring healing. You're able to bring deliverance. But you're going to have to do the work. Do you know that it's okay to say to God, God, I can't do this. I need you to do this. It's okay to say to God, God, I can't fix this situation, but I know you can, so I'm giving up control to you. And so you need to stop striving. You and I have to stop striving on our own strength and allow God to do the work in us. Our work is to yield to the presence of God. Nehemiah's response in verse 9 to everything that was happening God, strengthen my hands. Oh, God, help. Maybe you felt that way before. God, help. Hello, God, are you up there? Are you hearing me? Are you seeing the situation I'm in? Y'all look like you're, you're lying. You're, you have this face 
this look on your face like, I don't know what he's talking about. You're lying to yourself. Y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. You've been there. God, I don't understand. I can't fix this. And that's what Nehemiah was at. God, help. I can't do this on my own. I can't fix it on my own. I can't change this situation. I can't deal with Sanballat and Tobiah on my own. You got to take them out. You got to deal with them. How do we do that? How do we yield? Heather's been teaching on Wednesday nights about praying in the Spirit, praying in the Holy Ghost. The Bible gives us very clear indication that praying in the Spirit allows us or is what, how we yield. If you can picture this just for a moment, the, the river of God, the, you know, the, the Bible shows us a picture in Revelation that the Holy Spirit is like a river that proceeds from the throne. There are, there are a lot of purposes for a river. The, the reason you know, people build on the river is because there's transportation in the river. There's energy in the river. There's provision. There's sustenance. There's protection from the river. There's all these reasons why, we have, why people build on the river. And the river of God's the same way this morning. He wants us to step into this river that transports us from this natural life into the presence of God. The, the river of the Holy Spirit brings us out of despair and destruction and into the heavenly place. The river of God is protection from the things of oh no around us. The Holy Spirit river brings us out of our mess and into the presence of God. And so praying in the Spirit, Jude, in verse 20 says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. So when you're faced with those oh no situations and you find yourself striving and struggling, what happens, you begin to pray in the Spirit and you begin to yield yourself to God. It's yielding. God takes the most unruly member of your mouth and don't tell me it's not because, you know, I'll ask your spouse and they'll tell me all about your unruly member of your mouth or unruly, unruly member of your body. The mouth, God takes this most unruly part of our body and we yield to him and he takes it and does something supernatural with it. We begin to pray in the spirit. We begin to pray in the spirit, Jude one twenty, and build ourselves up. Isaiah 28 Verse 11 and 12 says, For with stammering lips and another tongue he will speak to this people, to whom he has said, This is the rest with which you may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing. How do you step into the rest of God? This verse right here tells you, This is the rest, that he will speak to us in another tongue. It's not just an experience that you have at camp. It's not just an experience that you have at the church altar, and it's a, it's a one-time encounter. No, Every day, man, I, I have to pray in tongues every day. You can't pastor a church and not pray in tongues. That's why so many pastors get out of ministry. They don't know how to drink of his presence. They don't understand what it means to drink. I, I realize as a pastor, I can't fix people's problem. Shocking. I can't fix you. I'm sorry. I can't fix you. I can't help you. But I know God who can. And in order to step into his presence, I've got to be praying in the spirit. I've got to build myself up and in the spirit. When we're dealing with the staff and the projects and the events, we've got to pray in the spirit. We need, we need godly insight, godly wisdom. We begin to pray in the spirit. And it begins to build. The Holy Spirit begins to build us up and edify us and gives us rest in the middle of those situations. When you're having a difficult day, man, turn on the worship and begin to pray in the Holy Ghost. I'm glad about four or five of you agree. I didn't realize I stepped into the Baptist church down the road. I thought we were at the, no, I'm just joking. 
We begin to pray in the Spirit. That's what, that's what we're all about, celebration. Hello, that's what the Assemblies of God, being Assembly of God Church is all about. We are about the distinct experience of the person of the Holy Spirit. And it's not just a doctrine, it's a person. Praying in tongues is not just about uh, doing religious duty. It's not, I'm going to smack you if you keep thinking that. Somebody's thinking that. It's, i got to do my religious duty. I'm going to smack you. It's not about your religious duty. Praying in the Spirit is your lifeline. My wife agrees with me. I'm so glad that she does. (laughs) Praying in the Spirit is your lifeline. It's how you live. When you're facing that hard day, let me just break it down. I'll be very practical. I might ruffle feathers, but I've already ruffled them, so I might as well ruffle a little more. I'm already out there. I'm walking on the water. So, When you're you're facing temptation, if you're in this room, all of us face temptation. Temptation is part of being a man, part of being a woman. It's manhood. It's it's being, being created. If you're facing temptation, you're here and you're facing temptation, instead of contemplating that temptation, you know what you need to do? Put on the worship and begin to pray in tongues. It's really hard. I know I'm going to offend somebody when I say this, but I'm just going to take a step on out there. So I'm, I'm preparing you before I say it. But it's really hard to take a drink of that alcohol when you're praying in the Holy Ghost. And I'll have a glass of wine with that. No, it doesn't happen. It's really hard to turn on the computer and look at things you shouldn't be looking at when you're praying in the Spirit. It's really hard to get mad and tell somebody off when all that's coming out is tongues. When you look at that person, you just want to give them a piece of your mind, just pray in tongues over them. Just let them have it in tongues. You never know what you're praying. So we begin to yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit and we allow God to do his work in us and through us. In John chapter 15, I won't take the time to read it, but in John chapter 15, we find Jesus, the story of abiding in him. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. I've spoken these things that my joy might be in you and that your joy may be full. Are you enjoying, I, honestly, I'm, I, this is a real question. I'm not, I'm not just being religious and asking this. I'm very sincere in saying this. Are you enjoying your salvation? Are you enjoying what God has given you? Or has it become drudgery? Has it become religious? Has it become old and crusty? Has it just become the thing that you do because it's the right thing to do? Is it, is it just become something that, that's, well, I've always done this, or this is what my parents did, or this is what I've been taught? Or is it a real, vibrant relationship with Christ? Are you you busy about knowing him and pressing into his presence? Are you just doing your religious duty? Jesus said, by this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. Fruitfulness comes by being connected to the vine. A tree doesn't go around saying, oh, I wish I could produce fruit. Oh, I wish I could produce fruit. No, a tree produces apples because it's an apple tree, and apple... Trees produce apples. When I, I mean, this is not rocket science, right? Your fruitfulness is connected to your abiding in Christ. 
If there's anything that you and I need to do, it's to strive to enter in his rest. Strive to enter in to that place of his presence where the life of God is flowing through us. How, why, why can we say, again, I'll get very practical. How have we grown? Question, how have we grown? How have we been able to grow in numbers? How has our finances been able to grow? How has all of the uh, things, the, the drum cage, and all of these things happened? Why are we, how, you know, our list, Heather re- referenced our list from Tuesday's board fellowship, you know, long list of things in four weeks that's got accomplished. How can that happen? It's supernatural. It's because our emphasis as a staff and as leadership has been not about working ourselves into oblivion, but how can I get closer to his presence? How can I worship? How can I, how can I press into him more? How can I know God more? You can ask our staff. That's what we take time and every staff meeting. We're going to pray in tongues today. We're just going to take time to pray in the spirit. We're not going to try to dream or create. We're just going to take time to pray in the spirit. That's how we are able to accomplish. Now, we're, now you, some of you may say, well, yeah, but that, that requires activity. It does require activity. But uh, I'm going to pick on Grace for a moment because you all know Grace. And Grace has been around for a while. And she's done, she's done a lot of work. She, had a, she did a lot of work in the transition time frame and helped maintain the pastoral things and the office things in the transition. You all know this. And, and Grace was working a lot of hours during that time frame. And our focus, our very first thing when we came in was, Grace, you're going to stop striving. <laughs> you're going to stop striving, and you're going to worship your little heart out. And you're going to press into God. You're going you're to press into his presence. You're going to take care of your family. You're going to love your family. You're gonna lo- We're going to make sure that you love your family. Not that she wasn't, but that's our focus. It's the presence of God and pressing into his presence and our family enjoying his presence. That's our focus. And she began to do that. And she's become more productive. I would say she's been more productive probably since then. And the things that have, have been created and the things that she's done far surpassed probably what she was doing before. Why is that? Because it's about his presence now. It's about pressing into him, not about doing the work. And so when you press into him, guess what? He begins, as Paul said in Philippians, he begins to do a work in you. He begins to transform you, and out of that flows supernatural ministry. Out of that flows liberty. Out of his presence flows the ability to do these things, and the things that you've only hoped to do. I don't know what God's spoken to you today about your role and and what God's speaking to you to do here at Celebration, and many of you are involved in many different aspects, but I, I don't know what God's speaking to you specifically But it only happens when you get in his presence. You can labor and strive and strive and strive to make that thing that God's told you to do happen. Some of you in this room, you have have been striving and striving and striving over something that God's called you to do. And you're like, why is it not happening? Why is it not happening? Why is it not happening? And I'm just going to tell you. I'm going to give you the answer. You're striving. You're doing it in your own strength. But when you begin to yield to God... And say, God, I'm going to mount up on Weagle's wings. Eagle's wings. (laughs) Weagle's wings. Weagle's wings. Something like that. I'm going to mount up on Eagle's wings. I'm I'm going to stop striving. And I'm going to press into you. Everything changes.